for the week of December 20th, 2020. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today we are going to discuss the 8th and final episode of Season 2 of The Mandalorian, Chapter 16, The Rescue. Directed by Peyton Reed and in it, Mando enlists the assistance from Lady Bo-Katan in his efforts to regain possession of the child by telling her that he has the location of Moff Gideon, who has something the heiress greatly desires. John, what did you think of this episode? Oh, what a uneventful disappointment this one was i was i was hoping they'd really go out on a high note surprise us maybe throw in you know a little fan service just really get us jazzed for the next season and uh yeah they didn't they didn't do anything even worth tuning in for so (laughs) thumbs down on this one oh man boy did we get so much in this episode i mean holy cow john there's so much to talk about Mm -hmm. yeah no in all seriousness obviously uh right up front Super spoilers. We're, we're coming in hot on this one, but yeah, no, we've, we've got a few things to talk about because, uh, they just pulled out all the stops. They said, okay, here's the one where we're going to deliver the goods. And, uh, they absolutely did. Well, they delivered every good possible in this episode. I mean, we got stuff that was being called back to rumors from the very beginning of the Disney right. era of Star Wars. Um, but first we get a little bit of fan service again with, we get to see the slave one in some action to start off this episode. And it turns out that the Mandalorian and, uh, the slave one crew are chasing down Dr. Pershing, who we have not seen in person since season one, who is actually confirmed now that he is in fact a clone engineer. So that was the first thing that popped out. Like right. it was all speculation. He had the Camino patch. Everyone knew he was a, a, a clone engineer, but it was never confirmed until, of course, now. And we finally right. get that portion here. And boy, was this whole opening scene just so much to love. Yeah. Uh, you know, we get a uh, Lambda class shuttle back. So you're, you're feeling the kind of the return of the Jedi vibes right right from the opening scene there. Yeah, they use it to to good effect, right? Like this is the same as the Bothan spies getting us the the shuttle to be able to infiltrate in in Jedi. We we are able to pull off the same maneuver here to get onto the ship. So yeah, a lot of fun table setting here with this opening chase. We get, you know, an ion blast, so you know, we know how we disable ships. This is all, you know, pulling from previous Star Wars fare and um a couple of pilots that have very different takes on just how all in they are on the empire. So it, it wasn't just utility, this, mm-hmm. this cold open, like they really use it to good effect to give the Imperial perspective. And uh, again, just enlarge our understanding of where people are at in the universe. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was feeling it, you know, it, it took me all of three seconds to start grinning. And I don't think I stopped until the, the final scene of this episode. So uh, we're off to a very good start here. Well, I did stop grinning very quickly into this Imperial <laughs> officer's speech that he's given. So like you right. said, there's kind of a split in on we're this far in, no, we're this far in. We're going to let them board and give them whatever they want because we don't want to die versus this other guy who's just like, you know what? I'm going to hold you hostage because now I figured out that they're actually after you and they're after mm-hmm. a little more than just pirates seeking booty. And he goes on and makes 
the worst mistake possible and starts taunting the Marshall yes. Cara Dune herself <laughs> on what happened to Alderaan and that he was on the Death Star that destroyed right. her planet. Like, this is just so evil. And so at that point, I'm just like, oh, boy, this guy, he's he's dead. Like, it's only a matter of seconds. Yeah, this is our first in um, many situations where the baddies just talk way too much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, there's an old cliche from the Bond movies about, you know, just like running at the mouth, explaining your plan, thinking you got it all figured out right up until the moment you get your comeuppance. Uh, we get that a few, a few times through on this episode. What I really thought was inspired about the speech that this captain gives is that this has been something that's been sort of batted around Star Wars fandom for a long time. The the idea of, well, from the Empire's perspective, these were terrorists that came and blew up the Death Star. And think of the workaday guys that paid for their lives and the families that didn't have their dads come home because of these terrible rebels. Uh, so it's all a matter of perspective. And I, I think I think Kevin Smith probably gave the definitive treatise on this in clerks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of cool that they took that and they let this guy monologue and basically sort of like enter that into the record of like mm-hmm. official canon now. And uh, I just, I was grinning. I thought, Oh, well that's, that's fun. This is, this is the speech I wanted to hear to really just make me ready to see some Imperials drop in this episode. And I love that, you know, of course, Cara Dune, we've seen her in different roles in the season so she's you know the hardcore marshal let's do things by the book now and that's kind of the Mm -hmm. approach that she's taking but with this guy she's just like you know what let's throw out the book and i'm just gonna blast his head off and i don't care what happens to dr (laughs) pershing's ear um right but it was just so so great to see because we're all rooting for that like as soon as this guy starts talking yeah he needs to die and and i and i want to figure out this actor's name and i was meaning to look it up but he delivers it so well and it's so he lays it on thick it's so rare for for an actor like that who's who's brought on to do this one little scene and they have one you know major line um for them to execute it very well but he does it he does it perfectly. It is amazing. And we're all rooting for him to get shot and killed. Um, <laughs> and it was a great payoff. Yeah. Cara Dune delivered. Um, what a, what a fun way to kick things off. We know that this is going to be kind of like a nonstop sort of thrill ride episode. And uh, yeah, I, I was definitely feeling this so much fun, but we got a, a pretty sprawling episode. So I'd, I'm going to just step back and let you take us to our next set piece here. Well, so they obviously we knew that they were going kind of the Magnificent Seven route, like we were getting hints of that pretty Mm -hmm. early on in the season. And it seems like we also got a payoff with that, although it wasn't exactly how we saw it before. Like I thought that Migs was going to play a piece in it, but of course he was let go in the last episode. But we have them returning to Bo-Katan and Bo-Katan, they, her crew not a huge fan of Boba Fett and it's just right. Sasha Banks and this one the uh the other Mandalorian is not to be found in this episode but we get the two of them they're kind of sitting there Mando approaches them and then they're immediately on guard with Boba Fett because of course they have had run-ins with Boba Fett before yeah and just a disdain for clones in general since you know they're they're out of the prequel era there's not going to be any love for that accent and that's kind of what sets Bo-Katan off Interesting. It, it It's funny that it seems like every time there's two Mandalorians on the screen at the same time, they feel like they have to fight first. It's kind of like, 
they're sort of like the Klingons of the the Star Wars galaxy. Like it's just it's it's fight first, and then we'll you know we'll, we'll figure out where we stand later. So we get a little bit of that. It's it's nice, but this was the one moment in the episode where I'm like, you know what? We've already introduced all these characters. I understand that they haven't met in a while, but. I don't need to see them fight right now because I know where this ends. Mm -hmm. It ends with them all teaming up and going after Moff Gideon. So like as much as everyone kind of has to like show their metal in front a little bit and you kind of have to have this little bit of looking each other up and down and, and deciding that we're okay to, to team up. Um, I I'm ready to get to space. That's, (laughs) that's kind of how I was feeling about it, but still a lot of fun. And, you know, they throw in all sorts of, uh, great lines for anyone that understands the the prequel lore. You know, uh, you know, this was my father's armor. Don't you mean your donor? And mm-hmm. you know, I'd recognize that accent. We understand. You know, like all the clones have the same Tamir Morrison accent, Kiwi accent. So uh, they they're really writing some depth into this for people that really want to pick up on those little mm-hmm. nuggets. So there was some fun to be had there. More than anything, the the big question that I have for you is: Do we know what planet they're on? Because it looked a little bit like Lothal to me. But I, I couldn't say that with any certainty. Well, I thought the same exact thing. So as soon as they they kind of cut into the scene and we see the ship fly into the right. little cantina area, I thought the same thing. And I figured maybe I blinked and I missed the label on top of the screen that said it. But there wasn't. Um, but yeah, it looks that way. It would make sense that, that Bo-Katan finds her way back to Lothal here. Mm-hmm. I was hoping that this was going to be an introduction to maybe Sabine coming in on the episode, right. but uh, but yeah, I was on the same page with you where I thought it was Lothal and we were getting Seb here. Yeah, we obviously didn't get that. Um, and you're right; they they don't usually do overlays. They don't introduce the planets; they do it through dialogue, which I think is the way you're supposed to do it in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we don't really know where we're at. I was also kind of confused on how mando knows how to find these mandalorians no matter where they're at now because mm-hmm. they're not still on fish world and last time we saw them they were absconding with an imperial shuttle there or whatever that was that cargo freighter thing uh so a little convenient uh, i don't know maybe they exchanged phone numbers before mm-hmm. they parted ways last time i don't know a little interesting though that it's easy for him to find them when he needs a, a convenient way to find them uh nonetheless I was happy to see him back. So you can forgive a lot of this sort of plot expediency that we're sort of rushing through here because we know there's there's some fun stuff ahead. Well, and it's it's also really fun that in both times we've seen Bo-Katan in this season, she's trying to recruit Mando for her cause and Mando's trying to <laughs> recruit her for his. And so it kind of goes the same route where Bo-Katan, she's like, really, you know what? You should abandon this whole thing because you're not going to find Gideon anyway and help us with our thing over here. And then he says, well, I have a tracker on his ship. And then this is when I think everyone watching it that understands the motives of Lady Bogaton understands that there might be some double crossing here. And Katie Sackoff plays this so well when he brings up that I've that I've basically found his ship and I know where they're going to be. This light bulb kind of goes off in her head and she's immediately intrigued because, of course, she is after the dark saber. So this is where their paths has have crossed officially. And she is now willing to go with Mando. And at this point I'm thinking, uh Oh, we're going to see a confrontation between the two of them. Yeah. They, they kind of spell out the dynamics of how this has to go down for everyone to get what they want. So obviously there's a payoff there where 
maybe things don't go quite as smoothly for Bo-Katan and what her motive is. But at this point, all we need to know is everybody wants Moff Gideon's head on a platter. So, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend and uh, we hop on slave one and uh, we, or actually no, they do the classic let's sit down and walk through our plan Mm -hmm. scene, you know, and they give us, you know, a, a complete end to end, layout of exactly the the heist that we're going to pull here to get baby back they point out because um the the good doctor is willing to kind of turn traitor there and let them know about the dark troopers and everything they need to know to make this a really smooth in and out operation they lay it out of course things rarely ever go to plan so that's kind of where we're at as we exit we'll we'll call it you know low rent lothal until we know better (laughs) well and this is also one of the other things that there were a few people that weren't too thrilled that like they weren't disappointed, but they weren't expecting Peyton Reed to be attached to directing mm. the finale episode. And whenever I heard it announced, because mm-hmm. I think uh, Pedro Pascal broke it over Twitter that he was going to be directing the next and final episode of season two. I thought, oh, well, of course, this is a heist episode. It's Peyton Reed, Ant-Man and the Wasp heist movie. This is probably mm-hmm. why they brought him on. And he does such a good job, even with capturing kind of that, because that's a classic, like you said, the heist trope. Like, let's explain our plan. And then um, right to the point where Bo-Katan's like, okay, I get Moff Gideon. He's mine. I'm going to fight him. And just poor communication on her part and on Mando's <laughs> part. Like, you should tell the Mandalorian that... You don't want Moff Gideon because you want him dead. You want Moff Gideon because you want the Darksaber. Like, maybe communicate that within there. I know she has some trust issues, but this is kind of what comes back and bites her in the butt in the end. Yeah, but at the same time, if you're planning a a deadly heist, are you going to put up with someone saying, well, I'd like to significantly lower our odds of victory and seriously complicate this whole situation (laughs) by stipulating right up front that Mm -hmm. I need to make sure that I have a showdown with this particular guy on my terms. And if anybody else just happens to run into him, well, you know, you can't shoot to kill, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't pick up that dark side. Like you can't do that. Right. She has to play that a little bit close to the, the armor there and just maneuver herself appropriately. Same as Mando, right? Mm -hmm. Like, as soon as he gets the opportunity to get what he wants and get out, he's all for it. So everybody, even though they're working together because they have a mutual enemy, they've still all got their own little side schemes that are going to take precedence if the opportunity presents itself as it should. That's exactly how ice movies go. Yep. And, and it's one of those things to where the Mando is so, you know, and I, submissive isn't the right word, but he's so accepting of this plan. Like, yep, all I care about <laughs> is a child. You help me get the child. Right. I'll give you whatever you want. It's good. We're fine. We'll move on. And it's like setting up this gigantic cheer jerker moment that they have been waiting for for the last, you know, season of episodes here that uh, Mando, he is being vocal. I want the child. That's all I care about. I'm taking him. I'm reclaiming him. He means more to me than you can ever imagine. And it, uh, it's just so heartbreaking when we get to the end here. But <laughs> yeah, don't don't give away the end there. We still got a lot of episode to get through. Last week we were bouncing all over the place, and I still feel like there was other things that I wanted to touch on. So I want to make sure that we like walk through this one, you know, with some good detail here, so we don't we don't uh, lose out on any juicy stuff. Well, and let's talk about the method of these dark troopers. So apparently mm. they have to be refrigerated and uh, recharged at the moment to um, dispatch them because energy reasons on the ship taking up too much energy, too much battery power. <laughs> they can't be plugged in all the time. That just wastes all of your electricity. So, of course, right. that's the role that Dr. Pershing has in informing the crew what needs to happen and how it needs to go down. 
And then he just disappears for the rest of the episode. But we get an explanation. Yes, they are dark troopers. We knew that. We heard that before. But there, there's no human behind the mask. These are 100% droids. Yeah, so they're they're kind of clarifying the difference between this and some legend stuff and even maybe some canon stuff, maybe video. I think in a video game that's canon, we have a different incarnation of what we would have called a dark trooper. So yeah, they wanted to spell that out just so that people don't think that they're playing fast and loose with the lore. I like it. You kind of needed the the Terminator angle on this to feel like these were worthy foes because we know that stormtroopers aren't going to stop anybody. So this is, yeah, this is the level up baddie that we need. And uh, they certainly, well, I, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves because we're not really even on the ship yet, but obviously these dark troopers feature very prominently as they, they try to execute this plan. And I love that in this plan, when they do, you know, go about it, they're like, okay, we're going to pretend like we're running from the slave one and that he's chasing us down. And then last minute, he's going to jump off to hyperspace. And um, I was expecting him to come back and save the day a little bit later, but that's not what we get. We get, of course, Bubba just going right out of the episode saying bye. Maybe you'll see him back a little bit later. But we get Mandalorian and then uh, four uber powerful women taking on this mission. <laughs> I mean, we get the classic like Avengers in-game moment where sure. you just have this this lineup of uh, powerful independent women that are just going through and they are teaching the stormtroopers the lessons. Of course, Cara Dune and G- uh, <laughs> is just doing what, uh, of course, she was hired to do. And that's just to to come on and be this big badass. Yeah, now I don't want to gloss over this um, little space set piece because it was tense and I was really like wondering if this was going to go bad right out of the gate. Like they're, they're not going to be able to land or they're going to be surrounded. They're going to be trapped in the, the, the shuttle or how that was all going to go down. Like it's a it's a good plan. It makes sense, you know, to make it look like they're under distress so that nobody's asking too many questions and they just clear a docking bay for them. Um, Really clever. Interesting, though, that Gideon is not in a rush to let anyone on his ship without vetting it. Mm-hmm. So he sends out the TIE fighters instead. He's like, I just I'd rather blow everything up and not have to worry about what is really going on out there. Kind of shows that he's still just skeptical, right? Like Mando. This is why Mando shouldn't have sent that silly message. Yeah. Ever since Mando sent it, he's obviously going to be extra cautious about the comings and goings on his ship. So I think that might have been why they refused to let them land mm-hmm. uh, and instead deployed the ties. Regardless, uh, they came in hot. It was fun. It was exciting. And, uh, you know, no sooner um, do they kind of pull off this little ruse that Boba Fett dispatches the ties that he's been just sort of flirting with and Mm -hmm. uh, heads off. I don't know if that means that he feels he's done as much as he's supposed to do to live up to his commitment to Mando, or if it's just a matter of that's the plan, right? Someone Mm -hmm. has to fly away and be ready to pick him up when the time comes. They don't really get into any of that. Not really necessary because at this point we're on the ship Mm -hmm. and that means it's showdown time. And what a great showdown. I mean, just seeing Bo-Katan and and Casca go through with their different, you know, plans like, oh, we're going to jump off the bridge here and then we're going to flank them when the stormtroopers think it's just two of them and we're going to do our thing. (laughs) So it was really fun to watch. But I also think it was especially fun to watch Finnick in action because it makes you more excited to see a younger version of Finnick in the Bad Batch, which has now been confirmed that the character in that little sizzle sizzle reel is in fact Finnick and we get to see a younger version of her um, in there. So it was fun to see that she alone also, we knew it before because there was a bounty on her head, but she's very capable um, on her own. We are knee deep in the Filoni verse. We're going to get a lot of crossovers over the next few years. Apparently 
we'll have to you know dig into this a little more later on but um even the mandalorian as its own show might might be evolving or being reimagined soon so anything is in play as far as where characters can pop up now right we this season proved that disney's plan is to turn this into a sprawling avengers style let's just yeah team ups and side quests and whatever they can do to just keep fun stories a coming. They're going to bring in whatever characters they need. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a long-term plan at this point. They know where they want these characters to be going and how they're all going to be uh, teaming up down the road. And that's a lot of fun. I do. I do enjoy any announcements that um, the story group like has their head screwed on straight and they, mm-hmm. they know, you know how they want to continue to unfold and expand on what we're seeing in the Mandalorian. So um, that's fun. I'll be tuning into the bad batch. Well, we'll obviously we'll be tuning into the bad batch and uh, I'm happy to see them kind of give some more context to that character. Mm-hmm. One other thing that I was always curious about was how Mando would stand up against a dark trooper after kind of hearing about how advanced these dark troopers are. I was wondering, okay, we're obviously going to see this kind of play into Mando and his skill set. So he, of course, is arriving to the prison of the child, right? When the gates of the dark trooper is opening, he is, he manages to keep one of them or all of them, but one contained, but this other one, I mean, the whole writing and directing showing this dark trooper really just use Mandalorian and subdue him in so many ways. That's quite disturbing. Like whenever he's punching the Mandalorian's face into like you, you kind of get this unstoppable force meets this immovable object type of thing where Mando's head is just sinking into uh, the interior of the ship. It's, it's a little disturbing, but it gets the point that these dark troopers are not to be messed with, which has a payoff later on. Yeah. Yeah. That dark trooper rang his bell a few times. This was fun. Shades of Terminator, like I alluded to earlier. Mm. Um, yeah, this unstoppable menace. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter how much you wail on them or shoot at them or whatever. They're just not going to go down. That was fun and fun that they established right out of the gate that these things will just punch their way through the thickest blast doors. Uh, so they're just going to keep coming. Like these, these are just, yeah, that unstoppable, uh, almost the horror trope of it doesn't matter how fast you run. This will always end up catching up to you sooner or later. I like that. I like that there was serious stakes here, that this was a serious menace and that you get the sense that one of these was enough to potentially take Mando. Like you, you believe that this could have gone either way if he didn't just happen to get that one kill shot off with his uh, spear there. So I like that. I like it when the stakes seem high and when your hero doesn't seem like a superhero, he seems vulnerable. He seems like he's met his match. What's interesting though, is that this is just a stepping stone. This is just an obstacle in the way of an even, you know, bigger level up boss fight. So I liked it. I'm glad that it didn't stay longer than it did. I'm glad that it was only one death trooper and, uh, you know, that this didn't become a lot of the episode because, we now know in hindsight that there's much better things that we would rather be spending our screen time on. So I think this was just about perfect. It was fun. But if you really go back and rewatch it, we're talking about maybe a minute and a half of the episode kind of dedicated to this fight. And uh, yeah, I thought it was punchy and well edited and just, yeah, fun obstacle. And I, I do like these as a baddie that, you know, is in short supply, but they could show up when you need a serious obstacle, not just a row of stormtroopers that really, are just cannon fodder for Cara Dune. Like you, you do need something that's uh, a little bit more of a menace. And, and I'm glad that they brought this into lore now. Well, and then of course the Mandalorian uh, does what he 
can only do now that he's defeated one and launch the other ones very alien fashion-esque where he just launches them out into open space. Yes, yeah. Um, and then he goes about and realizes, like, you know what? I'm just going to keep using this spear. So we get to see him, you know, kill some stormtroopers with this spear. And it's mm. quite, uh, you know, even though it's not gory, I mean, you hear a lot of bones cracking. And then, of course, you see him impale one of them with the spear and then choke the other one, breaking its neck. But just him going through the spear, setting up for what I think we knew was coming when Mandalorian found the spear in the ruins of the Razor Crest, that this was going to come down to a uh, Gideon versus Mando <laughs> moment. Yeah, I think you called it that, that this was this object had been anointed as the, the necessary object that was going to win the day for him. And uh, yeah, the, the writers were obviously, you know, right, right there with you on that. It didn't it didn't end the way that I thought it would and that mm. I think would be the most desirable finish but we do get this moment between Moff Gideon and of course Mandalorian. Moff Gideon is always one step ahead and I love that <laughs> John Carlos Esposito is just so perfect in this type of role <laughs> where he just you know tells Mandalorian like hey assume I know everything like I'm standing right here yeah. I got the dark saber I'm hovering it over this child I knew that you were going to come this way uh, I knew that this was going to happen. Everything is going down exactly like I knew it would. And then he he kind of tricks the Mandalorian and the Mandalorian puts his guard down when, of course, classic trope, we know that he's going to try to stab Mando when he's not looking. Right. <laughs> um, but this whole speech, and I want to kind of dive deep into here because it's it's purposefully left open for some interpretation here. But whenever he says, you know, you don't understand what this child can do, he has potential to bring order back to the galaxy. And of course, right. Moff Gideon is after the blood of the child and is after bringing back Palpatine or Snoke, whatever it is. But that's the part that's kind of left open for the fans that have been keeping up so far on, you know, like, Oh yeah, that's what, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to bring back someone. Yeah. I, I'm intentionally trying to not dwell on that because I really like the Mandalorian better when it isn't alluding to the sequel trilogy. Cause even though the sequel trilogy has its moments, you know that uh, I was no fan of how things went down in rise of Skywalker. I thought that was a pretty ham fisted way to reintroduce the emperor and the whole Snoke in a jar thing. It just, it felt so, I don't know. Yeah. It just, it, it just wasn't working for me. So even though it, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that's the obvious thing that they're telegraphing here. And he's even using, you know, restore order and the first order. And mm -hmm. then, you know, you've got the, whatever it is, the, the Sith eternal. Um, so we know that all these things are brewing in the uncharted regions right now. And uh, it totally makes sense that this is what the Imperial remnant is going to be focused on. So yeah, that's totally what's going on. I, I think that's as reasonable a theory as anything at this point. But I just I want to live in the now with this show. I, I just want to let it be about our main characters. And so uh, I it wasn't lost on me. But at the same time, I'm just I'm ready for uh, them to square off because uh, Moff Gideon needs to die. And we get a, a great square off here because mm -hmm. the way that this is this fight was choreographed, it was obviously like, OK, let's make sure that Gideon moves like he knows what Mando's next step is going to be, the, sure. which goes back to that quote. So whenever he gets all tangled up by uh, Mandalorian's little uh, tightrope there, he's able to cut it quickly. <laughs> and so this whole fight kind of goes into Moff Gideon trying to find some weaknesses and the armor while Mando is using the best car spear, which. Obviously, Moff Gideon wasn't aware that Mando had, so this was the one the one trick up the Mando sleeve that Gideon wasn't expecting. 
But yeah. it was even though it was quite a short fight for kind of a finale moment between the goody and the baddie here, it was still a good fight because these two are not force sensitive. So it felt like kind of a little more trained Finn fighting off against, you know, the Kylo sure. Ren, but both of them don't have the force. And so it felt very much like that. They both have these two weapons that whenever you're in a fight in, in, uh, in an advanced time period, you don't want to grab a sword and, <laughs> and a spear and, and square off against each other. So mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. Um, it looked great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I uh, felt very star Wars. You're, you're right. Like, Star Wars in so many ways needs to be grounded in samurai fighting or in medieval fighting. Of course, blasters exist. And of course, there's far more efficient ways to kill people in the Star Wars universe. But is there anything more satisfying than when they've built some emotional stakes? Each of the characters has a reason that they need to win. This is a do or die moment for both of them. We have a character that we're genuinely rooting for. We understand that this isn't just him trying to save his skin, but he's on a He's on a quest from God, (laughs) you know, like they're like when they take the time to pour some emotional stakes into it so that we're really connected with the characters. That's when you want to see them really brawling and really just at each other uh, in, in these kind of terms. You don't, you don't want it to just be uh, a gunfight from behind boxes. You want, yeah, you want it to be for all the marbles. There has to be blades. There has to be stakes. The spear has to heat up so that you know that it can only take so many mm-hmm. slashes from the dark saber before it's going to give you, you just, you need that right now. This is, this is a finale. This is a, this in a way, this feels like almost the end of a series or, you know, the end of like a serious movement in the yeah. series. So yeah, they really just had to leave it all in this hallway. And I, I feel like they did. Like, I feel like it was aggressive and Gideon proved himself to be capable. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you said, you know, they're, they're really matching each other blow for blow. And it, it, that's how I want one of these battles to go down. I don't want it to be sort of like a prequel era mm-hmm. battle where everything is so finessed and acrobatic and maybe like not evenly matched where mm-hmm. like, if you have a Jedi against pretty much anyone that isn't a Jedi or Sith, you're just going to feel like, well, this it's only a matter of time till yep. the, the Jedi walks away and without barely breaking a sweat. This of course didn't feel like that. This mm-hmm. felt like, yeah, these, this is what we've been waiting to see. And uh surprised that at the end of it, Mando spared his life. But mm-hmm. I guess that was the deal that uh he had with Bo-Katan and he's an honorable man. It, so he thought, he thought <laughs> he this thought, is yeah. why he he's was trying to do the right thing, but it never yeah. works out. And it just shows Mando's commitment to everything. Like his commitment to, of course, Grogu, his commitment to, yeah, okay, Bo-Katan, I'll give you Gideon. I'll let this happen. Sure. And oh boy, you can just see on Gideon's face, like, oh, you have <laughs> no like, idea you what you're now. doing. <laughs> yeah. 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 You stepped in it. This is one thing I want to say about Giancarlo Esposito before we move into the, the grand finale here is in season one, it felt like the direction he was given was just be Gus Fring. Mm-hmm. You are Gus Fring in space. You're the guy who's always calculating. And, yeah. and because of that, so much of your menace lives under the surface. You're not like a, a, a brash, loud baddie. Mm-hmm. This season, I feel like they've really let Giancarlo Esposito take this character to some fun places. You see him relishing his evil and you see him grinning and smirking and monologuing with villainous glee and rubbing everyone's face in his, you know, wonderful intellect. And it's, it's so smarmy and loud and just like deliciously villainous Mm -hmm. that, uh, I think it works better. 
like Star Wars, you you want the people making Star Wars to take it serious so that what's up on screen isn't winking at the audience and saying, you know, this is just kids fair. We can just throw up whatever schlock we want. You want them to be turning out the best stuff. But at the same time, sometimes the best stuff is the stuff that taps into the swashbuckling Mm-hmm. heightened adventure dialogue and character like sometimes larger than life is the right choice right. they did it with the emperor right like the reason we all love the emperor is because you know that guy just knows how to ham up uh you know his 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 evilness right, right? like he's someone that you know is just he, he's just embraces villainy and he he loves to flaunt it and it, it's that arrogant nature of the emperor that that makes him such a fun villain to hate and I think they needed to let Giancarlo Esposito do that more here or else it was just going to feel like more Gus Fring. And now he feels like Gideon. Now he feels like a, a character and it, it's a testament to the direction on one hand that they're giving him better dialogue that, that he can really chew through. But it's also a testament to Giancarlo Esposito who is savvy enough to know when to turn it on and mm-hmm. give a glint of, of just, you know, sadistic joy. Uh, it's it's a new performance that I've never seen from John Carlos Esposito, and I was I was just drinking it in. I was I couldn't get enough of it. That's why I'm glad they didn't kill him because I really hope that he breaks out of a prison at some point and we get some some more uh, villainy from him down the road. And this is obviously a thing where they basically uh, Favreau and and Reed went to him and was like, okay, remember he knows everything. So when you read the script, understand Gideon knows everything before it goes down. Sure. And this is when he executes this line so perfectly. Whenever he's thrown at the feet of Bo-Katan, he's kind of like grinning like, oh, okay, you guys caught me, (laughs) but now I get to watch you two kill each other and see what happens. And I'm just, I'm just this agent of chaos where I'm just going to watch you guys kill each other. Yeah, there's a moment here where he might as well be Loki for just the, I'm just going to step off to the side and watch you guys eat each other live because I've just messed up the chessboard so bad that nobody even knows what they're doing anymore. And aren't I just so clever? Yep. Uh, so much fun. So much fun. And so he he basically is telling Mandalorian, I thought this was a great way where Katie Sackhoff doesn't have to say anything. Her direction was clear. Like, you're going to be, you know you're going to be in a tough spot. Like just act that out that you're, you're in a tough spot that you don't know. You're trying to figure out how to get out of this spot in the right way, but also killing Mandalorian isn't off of your radar. Like this is still <laughs> sure. a, a possibility for you. And Moff Gideon is just dialoguing everything to, uh, <laughs> to the Mandalorian. Like, Nope, it has to be one in combat. Nope. She's going to have to take it from you. <laughs> it, it can't be given. It can't go down this way. Uh, I know what yeah. she wants. I know what you want. And only one of you is going to get your way in this one. Yeah. You see her seething with frustration. Like, I can't believe you picked up that stupid sword. Like, mm-hmm. come on. Can I catch a break? It's been however many years. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You get so much. You get so much. And you know what? I am so glad that we took the time to go back and watch those silly cartoons before Mandalorian started. You know, we were doing it to kind of catch our stride as a podcast and just kind of get our, our, you know, our rhythm and our up our game so that we could really bring our best to uh, the Mandalorian when it premiered. But would any of this make any sense if we didn't take the time to really make sure that we, we had a clear picture yeah. of everything that led up to these confrontations. Uh, so yeah, this was this was fun. It's just fun to see everybody trying to get what they've been striving for, for seemingly forever. And nobody's quite able to do it uh, mm-hmm. until of course we get yet another 
Very interesting turn of events. <laughs> well, obviously what saves the two of them in their moment of trying to think through how to uh, find a loophole in this exchange yes. of the Darksaber, we of course have the Dark Troopers that come back and they come back <laughs> ready to uh, to tear down the ship and kill everyone in it. And of course, Gideon is on you know his own boat with that as well. Like, oh, we're, <laughs> everyone's going to die and it's just going to be me and the kid and uh, and everything's going to be great. Yeah, But then as they go through this and they kind of glanced over it and this is maybe be theories into what actually happened and how successful Gideon was. So I want to go back a few episodes when we find out why they wanted the child in the first place and that was to get his blood. But Dr. Mm -hmm. Pershing said in that hologram that they basically needed all of it and that they needed to practically kill the child. Gideon, of course, teases Mando whether or not this is a lie, that he got what he needed. It's fine. You can take the child. You can get out of here, whatever. But when Mandalorian sets Grogu down, Grogu looks very weak. And Mm -hmm. he, you know, is kind of passing out like he usually does when he uses a force. So I wonder how successful they were in doing that. Sure. So if we go back to when baby is still in the cell and Gideon is standing between him and Mando, I think what Gideon's saying there. I think it's both true and a lie at the same time. He's trying to bait Mando into letting his guard down and letting his emotions kind of cloud his judgment and turn his back. Because if he gets a chance to put a dagger in Mando's back, he's going to do it. So I think that's definitely in his thinking. But I think he's also thinking, look, if this guy is going to be super cautious and I'm not going to get a chance to strike, I would much rather have him walk out of here and then I can plan my next move. Mm-hmm. And if he, you know, if he takes the baby, so be it. We've got enough to get us by for a few months and I'll just hunt this guy like a dog until then. Mm-hmm. I think he was happy to let it go either way because either way he lives to see another day and he's got enough to keep the project going. Mm. That said, it's obvious that they had extracted Yoda DNA in season one mm-hmm. and that only gets them so far. They said, we do not have another specimen that. Yep is going to cut it. It has to be baby. So I think they would have just kept milk and baby for midi chlorians as long as they could have, and probably would have continued to put them to good use. Cause obviously they haven't cracked whatever code they need to crack that they're done with him. Uh, I think Gideon was just covering his basis. He always wants to have, you know, two or three potential options at his disposal. That's just, you know, clever uh, chess playing. So I, I think there's something to what you're saying obviously we're never going to know exactly, you know, mm-hmm. where things were at with the empire. Cause that's not the story we're telling. We're, we're yeah. telling the story of saving Grogu, not, uh, you know, what the possibilities could have been. Nonetheless, it just adds to Gideon's, uh, the, the perception that Gideon is working all the angles, which makes him a formidable foe. Absolutely. And then of course we, like you said, they played up how one dark trooper almost subdued Mandalorian on its right. own. Yeah. And now we got the whole crew back. Yeah. 40 of them. Yeah. And this is obviously something that, all right, someone's going to have to come to the rescue and we get this solo X-Wing. And I think if you weren't already (laughs) catching on with the solo X-Wing, I think Cara Dune sells it for you when she says, oh, great, just one. Like, that's totally going to help. And then we realize if you've been paying attention to Star Wars solo X-Wing, okay, who could that possibly be? And then we get this Jedi just slicing through these dark troopers now before we get into of course the reveal of who this jedi is i very much enjoyed watching it through the point of view of everyone um looking through the security footage where they're watching this jedi just slice through all these dark troopers and it's kind of this moment where it's such a great 
way to tell a story of someone mm-hmm. who's never really encountered Jedi on very many yeah. occasions where it was just so awesome to watch uh, this go down this way. Yeah, he was definitely living up to the hype. This is the first time that Gideon is quaking with mm-hmm. fear. Like you, you see, as soon as he realizes there's a Jedi on his ship, he's beginning to think, oh, there's, this is the one thing that you can't scheme your way out of. You can't, you can't go toe to toe with a Jedi. This is the, the clan that took down the Death Star. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is fun because it, it really puts everything in perspective. Whatever petty squabbles anyone had going on, nobody knows what to make of what's mm-hmm. going down in the hangar bay right now. And that's so much fun because to half the people in there, well, to pretty much everyone in that bridge, Jedi are to be feared mm-hmm. and they are uh, a mysterious you know, just a, a wizard that brings death and destruction wherever yeah. they go. Like th- there's no reverence here. This is pure terror, especially for Gideon. So it is fun that they give you so much quiet to sit with the characters as they're just trying to figure out what the hell mm-hmm. is going on outside those doors. Um, so much fun. Now, just a step back when they first said, Oh, one X wing, I thought it was going to be Kim's convenience. I thought, Oh, this is hilarious. It's going to yeah. be that, uh, <laughs> you know, chubby, like lackadaisical X-Wing pilot that is so bored out in the outer rim, he's going to get a chance to be a <laughs> hero here. And I, that's honestly what I thought. Cause I thought I, I had just primed myself to think there's no way they're going to give up baby this early. Like mm-hmm. Lucasfilm has such a good thing going with this storyline, this, this father son dynamic of the Mandalorian and the baby. There's no way they're they're gonna just hand baby off to a jedi now so it didn't even cross my mind until they have the one television shot of the x-wing entering the hangar and bo-katan calls out like identify yourself and there's nothing and you're like okay whoever's on that ship is not interested in procedure he's not interested in your rules or what you want to happen he is basically just listening to the force and he's just he's just coming and it is it's that that silent faceless menace and it's neat to see a jedi in those terms so good so good that they didn't blow the reveal with a close-up of the cockpit because that Mm -hmm. just it would not have been the same if you didn't get that trepidation of everyone seeing it through those uh you know corny old um faux tube television screens and it makes you wonder who gideon has crossed in the past i mean because to someone who has never encountered a jedi but maybe they've encountered a sith or even darth maul do they have an association that one is different from the other or do they have the association that these magical wizards with laser swords can do quite the damage and they're one and the same because to the greater galaxy you may not understand the difference when you see one um so like you said gideon is trembling to the point where he's like okay, I'm not even going to risk this. I'm just going to blow my own head off here. And he tries right. to. And if, and if it weren't for a Caradoos standing there, he would have offed himself out of the pure fear of right. encountering a Jedi. Yeah, I love it because this has been the arch villain. This is the guy that's always in control and always on top. And no, he doesn't even want to know how this is going to play out. It just ain't worth it to him. Uh, fortunately, he doesn't get the chance. And they were smart if they had to killed him off. They would have been robbing themselves of some fun storyline down the road. Uh, they're smarter than that. So here we are, you know, the big finale. This is what everything in the season has been building towards. There is a Jedi on the ship. He is cutting down these droids, just like battle droids in the old Republic days. They pose no challenge. Whereas Mando just about got curb stomped by one 15 minutes ago. 
this Jedi is cutting them down like butter, which is mm-hmm. what Jedi do with droids, which is why you don't use droids. So fun just to see the difference in power and ability and the um, calm, totally in control nature of this Jedi just calmly walking through the situation. Um, I wanted to also mention just some of the framing of these shots. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that they intentionally pulled from some of the staging from revenge of the Sith. I was seeing what seemingly was Anakin cutting down um, some of the, you know, the, the council of villains that were on Mustafar. Like I'm sure I saw like, there was a scene where Anakin very calmly reverses the position of his lightsaber to deflect a blow of um, some sort of blaster that was coming from behind him. And it's just, again, this, this calm uh, dispatching of foes just because you're so in tune with the force that mm-hmm. it's just issuing out of you. Uh, I was seeing that. And then they recreated the hallway scene yep. from rogue one, but in reverse yeah. green lighting, you're, you're dispatching evil droids instead of, heroic rebels and it's the blast door that's going to make the difference between whether you know they get through or not and uh again the same same sort of framing where he's throwing them around the hallway and he's choking them and he's pulling them to him so he can dispatch them it was a beautiful thing to basically orchestrate the same melody but in a different key Mm -hmm. i guess that's the best way i can put it and zach i'll tell you as a grown man I'm only supposed to get one good cry in my adult <laughs> life and I was saving it for something special and mm-hmm. I didn't realize it. But at this point in the episode, I'm tearing up. Like I'm seriously yeah. like tight in the throat going, good Lord, this is the Luke entrance mm-hmm. that I, I didn't know that I, I needed mm-hmm. and I was having so much fun and now I'm going to shut up so you can tell me what you <laughs> thought of all this because uh, I'm sure you had some feelings. Well, I also caught on to the very uh, Anakin parallel. Like these scenes, they yeah, yeah. match up so well together. Um, it's only a matter of time before someone adds uh, a video on YouTube that shows them mirroring each other. The side by side, yeah. But it was so perfect. And then, like you said, when they get to that hallway scene, it is almost an exact reflection of the father and the son here, yes. where it's like you have Vader going after this for very selfish reasons he's going after the you know these rebels who stole something from him but then you have luke that is seeking something that wasn't stolen from him but is seeking out something that needs his assistance and that called out to him and is protecting you know of course our heroes who are helpless at this point and it it was absolutely amazingly beautiful and it was totally (laughs) this whole thing that of course Favreau, Peyton Reed, Dave Filoni they were like okay the introduction is going to be Luke how are we going to do it? Well let's have it be a perfect picture of just opposites a yin and yang of father and son here Mm -hmm. and boy was it it was so great and then they of course the door opens up and instead of the lightsaber igniting in the fog and in the darkness which is the introduction we got of vader and rogue one it kind of goes it retracts it goes back he disarms himself because he realizes that the danger's over he is now Mm -hmm. going in there to retrieve the child for the betterance of the child hopefully there's an asterisk by it but we see that this kind of face reveal and we get of course a cg version of a younger (laughs) de-aged mark hamill who uh you know, the whole time I'm watching this and just some of the the shots from the side, I'm thinking, 
oh my god, they really did it. They went out and they got Sebastian Stan. Yeah, yeah. Because they look so much alike, and it it's so. You know, it, this is my one question for the whole show, and I get it because I I do believe that Mark Hamill was there filming, mm-hmm. and they just de-aged him in CG. But it's like at the same time, it's just like man, Sebastian Stan looks like the younger Mark Hamill and Sebastian Stan looks so much alike. Why not just just bring him in for it? And maybe there's some contracting issues they can pay him enough. Who knows? Maybe they didn't even try. <laughs> maybe it was you know, maybe it was a way to honor Mark Hamill and giving him a Luke Skywalker that he really wanted to um, explore whenever he came back because bingo. Yeah. Mark Hamill, he was very vocal um, and Mm -hmm. said it at celebration multiple times that he felt like that Ryan Johnson was not going the route that he wanted to, even though I greatly like the last two films, Mark Hamill had a different opinion on how Luke should have been uh, reintroduced into the galaxy. And I think this was kind of his moment where he's just like, okay, yeah, I'll go through and I'll slice down these dark troopers and just show Luke Skywalker's force prowess here. Such a great moment. And mm-hmm. like you've already alluded to just the body language of this, but yeah. he is so calm. He's not alarmed. He goes in there and he basically is trying to convince the Mandalorian, like, hey, I came for the child. You need to let me take him. Like, <laughs> and and it, this gets into like kind of the emotional piece where I believe <sighs> Mando is the one that says the first line. Like, he's the one that talked first, where he says, the child's going to go ahead and stay with me. And well, he, he says, the child doesn't want to go to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Luke kind of responds very calmly, and you get this moment between Mando and Grogu where Luke is basically saying, no, he's wanting your permission to come with me. Mm-hmm. And this kind of leads to this huge emotional thing that I think I was, I knew was coming, but was even more, it was done in such a way that I was not expecting it, where of course the Mando, you know, goes through this whole, and hopefully it's not mirroring young Anakin Skywalker with Shmi Skywalker, where he's like, I'm going to see you again. I promise. Like, hopefully it's not that type of, I'll see you again. Hopefully we do get these two (laughs) reunited in the future. But of course, Mando removes his helmet. And I kind of view this as he is officially fully publicly abandoning his creed to accept this child and to have this moment, even though he knows that he's fulfilling his last order from the armor. So maybe it's kind of a dual thing. He's fulfilling his last order from the armor so now he's also abandoning, you know, the ancient way of keeping the mask on. But he, for the first time, has this eye to eye moment with Grogu, which is just so emotional and so well done that that, that it gets you. It gets you in the end. See, I, I, I think you're touching on kind of where I was at with this scene, but I think I had a slightly different take on it in keeping with the whole let's pull in the the motifs and the the imagery and the the circumstances of previous star wars father son scenes and use them to add context to this i saw it in a way as a mirror to darth vader let me look at you with my mm-hmm. own eyes kind of yeah. thing like i felt like mando was saying i'm not letting my son go without letting him see who I am. I want him to know who his father is. I want him to, you know, I I want him to truly know who I am and I want to look at him with my own eyes. And I just, I don't want anything between us, Mm -hmm. including this helmet, including that creed. 
you know, just like Darth Vader is basically saying like the, the helmet it's, it, it basically represents his affiliation with the Sith and mm-hmm. the mistakes he's made in life. And he just can't have that between him and Luke. If he's only got a couple minutes to make up for lost time, he doesn't care if he suffocates. He just wants to look at his son with his own eyes. And I, I think it, I think emotionally it was meant to be that simple rather than Din doing the math and saying, well, am I really done with the creed? Like, I, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a question for him to grapple with later. Yeah. But in the moment, he just wants to look at his son and he yeah. wants his son to see who he is. And it couldn't have been more beautiful. Like that's, yeah. it, it was truly touching to, for them to get this much uh, emotion out of a silly little puppet and a, a <laughs> dude in a tin can hat. Good Lord. When Star Wars does what Star Wars does, it's it's potent. It's good. Thank you so much for pointing that out because I completely forgot. I had a Werner Herzog moment where I'm just there like, oh, it's, it's this is a puppet. That's absolutely right. right. They did all this through a puppet. Uh, holy cow. That adds a whole nother <laughs> layer to everything. But sure. um, yeah, it is so great. And then we kind of get like, you know, a break in the emotion when R2 makes his reveal here. But yeah. this whole time I'm thinking because I have been very much against Luke being the Jedi that takes Grogu from since season <laughs> one when we were getting hints that this is, you know, he's going to pass it down to a Jedi. What Jedi is it going to be? And everyone's yeah. like, Luke, obviously. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, no, no, uh-uh, it can't be Luke. Don't give him to Luke. Whatever you do, do not make it Luke that takes this child because we know how this ends. And so this whole time I'm thinking like, Okay, hopefully Mandalorian's line, I'm going to see you again, I promise. Hopefully that's like a thing where Luke makes an exception to kind of the Jedi uh, temple way where it's like, okay, we're not going to train them up like the old Jedi. We're going to train them just so that they're one with the force and then let them create their own path. Hopefully that's what he's doing. And I think the dialogue that Mark Hamill delivers here where he's like, you know, if he never truly taps into what he's capable of, he'll never be safe. Hopefully that's the dialogue we're getting, and that's the reason why. Hopefully it's affirmation from Favreau, like, no, Grogu was not there when Kylo Ren went through <laughs> and, and destroyed everything. But I'm still thinking, like, okay, I know I know Ben Solo is five here, but I swear if he kills Grogu, <laughs> if Grogu is there in the temple, it makes Ben Solo almost irredeemable. It is <laughs> and adds a whole other layer to the evilness of Kylo Ren. But that's kind of where I was. Sure. I, uh, that occurred to me, I think after the episode that, oh, well, okay. So what, what happens in the next 20, 25 years, there's still a lot of story to tell in there. Mm-hmm. What we know is that Grogu is already upwards of 50 years old or something like that. At this point, another 20 years, 70, 75, somewhere in that range. That's a lot of Jedi training. That's a lot of mm-hmm. time to sort out his emotional baggage. That's a lot of time to, you know, go from whatever he is now, you know, an, an in, infant in stature to something a little bit more uh, independent and, mm-hmm. and uh, formidable. So even if he was at the temple, I don't know, like if some uppity Padawan came up against a younger Yoda, I think I still wouldn't just assume that Yoda was going down. Like I, I, I think that this kid's going to be able to handle himself just fine in 20 years. Uh, but we'll see. Or like you said, it could very much be in the vein of Luke's going to take a different path with him. And he really just wants to make sure that the child isn't a danger to himself or others. Like mm-hmm. learn to control your emotions. Even if you don't, you know, take the, the Jedi path, at least know how to keep yourself in balance so that you don't uh, become a target of nefarious 
mm-hmm. people in the galaxy. So it, it could just be that simple that in 20 years, their story's done. You know, the, the baby found his center and matured and went off and had different adventures aside from Luke. That's going to be the, the nice thing for future fair to fill in because the possibilities are endless at this point, but I don't think Grogu's going down. Not, not to mm-hmm. Kylo Ren. That's <laughs> that ain't, that ain't happening. Yeah, uh, I hope so. I hope that's true. But anyway, we get to the end credits of this episode. Grogu walks off into the distance with Luke Skywalker. Such a great Star Wars moment. The end credits roll, and there is nothing else left until you keep watching. And then... Yes! (laughs) Then this end credits scene. (laughs) Holy cow. Just when you're all stuck in your emotions and you're wiping the tears from your eye and you're blowing your nose, you get a little (laughs) extra here. Sure, they went full on Marvel. Yeah. And it is so great to see Jabba's palace again, but Jabba's not sitting on the throne. It's his old buddy Bib who's getting super fat. Yeah, living like a sultan. And we get Finnick, of course, coming down the stairs, executing them in in a very similar with there have been a lot of Return of the Jedi callbacks in this episode, and Boba Fett comes down after Finnick goes through, and Boba stands exactly where Luke stood years <laughs> prior and then uh, just off the, the poor guy off bib. They, of course, free the slave girl. So that's nice. But then mm-hmm. Bobo sits on the throne with Finnick drinking at his side. And it feels very uh, <laughs> Game of Thrones esque. It feels sure. it feels super like, OK, what is his motive? Like, are we going to get like a a good hut gangster? Or are we going to get a bringing order and peace to Tatooine or are we going to get something else? And that was one of the things to where then we get a little um, (laughs) tagline here. The book of Boba Fett coming December, 2021. Yes. So, okay. Now, as some listeners may recall last week, I sat through all 744 hours of the Disney investor meeting press conference, YouTube live stream, Mm -hmm. because I wanted to obviously hear the star Wars and Marvel news and you know, all that, that fun stuff that uh, we can geek out on. Um, But also I like the other stuff. I like hearing about what was happening with the volume. And uh, I just, I, I, I kind of geek out for, for the the larger world of Disney. So um, in the middle of that, I took note that they said that, Kathleen Kennedy was very careful with her wording. She said when she was announcing new series and she said, you know, she started talking about, you know, our flagship series, the Mandalorian and the next installment is coming out next December. Mm -hmm. So here's where we need to maybe read between the lines and get into a little bit of speculation because first off they wrapped up in a very final like finale way, this whole Mando and the baby story here. Mm-hmm. For the foreseeable future, we have to assume that, well, that's just not a story that is going to go forward. It, the baby's on a different path now. Mando's on a different path now. Bo-Katan's on a different path now. Boba Fett's on a different path now. And we know that the larger intention of uh, Favreau and Filoni and Lucasfilm is to now build out supporting series that exist in this world. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, The Mandalorian is it sort of going to quasi evolve into sort of an anthology show where maybe you get one or two season arcs that tell other stories of Mandalorians, Mm -hmm. or maybe 
how Din Djarin gets maybe wrapped up in Boba Fett's revolution or whatever it is. They've laid enough groundwork that the Mandalorian for the first two seasons, many would argue was baby. It mm-hmm. wasn't even Mando. Like thematically, baby was the Mandalorian. Yeah. Now we know that Boba Fett is as much as, you know, Mandalorian history and culture is so muddled. He's a Mandalorian too. Even if he's a clone, he's still, you know, the, the son of a foundling. He's, he has a right to the armor. You know, mm-hmm. he's as legit as anyone else in the diaspora. So could it be that maybe we didn't understand, but the Mandalorian as a series is an anthology series. And maybe the next anthology is going to really reset the deck and begin a fresh story. And all of our friends are going to pop in along the way, but maybe it takes a new focus. They, Mm -hmm. they brought Boba Fett in, they rehabilitated him. They, they made us believe that it's okay for him to be alive in, in this version of star Wars. Maybe we follow him for a couple seasons and Din Djarin, you know, steps into the background or maybe, maybe Din Djarin goes off and starts ruling Mandalore. We don't know, but I think the book of Boba is Mandalorian season three. Mm-hmm. They put the lettering in the same lettering as the chapters for yep. th- this show. I think that's what they're saying. I think that we just got a 16 chapter book, the the book of baby, the book of mm-hmm. Grogu. I think we're getting the book of Boba as a Mandalorian outing next season. I I couldn't agree anymore. Like that's exactly how I saw it. The wording, the font, it all stuck yeah. out to me the same way. And then another thing that got me, and we talked about this either last episode or a few episodes ago, that Favreau's desire the whole time was to tell a Boba Fett story. He right. wanted to do a Boba Fett story from the very beginning. So I think he pulled a classic Peter Jackson. Yeah. Like, hey guys, I want to direct a King Kong film. Yeah, I mean, do this thing first, and yeah. then if it's good, we'll let you direct a King Kong film. Well, the Mandalorian has been great on mm-hmm. all on all aspects of the show. And so I think that's exactly what's going on. I think Favreau was able to convince Lucasfilm that like, hey, guys, I have a story for this and, and I'm working with Filoni. We can do this. We can do a, a right. Boba Fett series. So I, I think that's exactly what's going on. It makes far more sense to have something like this in separate books, like you said, you know, chapter mm-hmm. one through 16. And then now we're getting into the, the book of Boba Fett, which will be the same type of thing. I mean, the whole thing has been laid out in chapters anyway. So mm-hmm. that's the most obvious. And it also opens the door that we can get a Bo-Katan uh, yeah. coming back with, you know, maybe that's Din Djarin's next path is to assist her in reclaiming right. Mandalore. He, he becomes a side character in the you know let's reclaim mandalore story you know yeah. he he becomes a, a part of the cause which is something they alluded to when they established mm-hmm. bogatan's character is she's trying to get him involved in the cause so yeah i think they're just going to shuffle the deck and our characters mm-hmm. are going to go where it makes the most sense for them to be for the next round of stories yep. and because we we love them we're just going to be happy to see them pop up whenever it's appropriate for them to do so but i think that's what we got mm-hmm. i think we've we're transitioning into an anthology show we're probably going to do a couple of seasons on uh, this whole Boba, you know, the, the gangster underworld. And uh, yeah, we'll see where we land in 2023. But I, I think that's what they're saying, because if they knew that a Boba Fett series was ready to go mm-hmm. in one year, they were far enough along with scripts and planning and pre-production that they could confidently put a timeline on it. They would have announced it at Disney shareholder event. Mm-hmm. The fact that they didn't yeah. says so much about them kind of holding this one back because they wanted the reveal to come on the tail of this yep. finale. Uh, I, I think that's what it is. I, until we hear otherwise from Lucasfilm, I think that's got to be our, our working theory. 
and the fact that there was a hesitation in Kathleen Kennedy's announcement yes. where she's like, it is coming in December of next, like just the way she announced it where there wasn't like, <laughs> it was coy. Yeah. It was very, very coy. And uh, I think that's what we're getting regardless of what we're getting, how much we're getting it and how long it's going to last. And what is in store for the star Wars universe? We know that a ton of shows are coming about and, Boy, am I excited for whatever season three of The Mandalorian is going to bring. We have, of course, Gallery of Season 2, which I yes. have not been more excited for until today. Oh, man, it's going to be wonderful to see how they accomplish Season 2. But that's all I have for Season 2 <laughs> of The Mandalorian. Joan, what are your closing thoughts, and where can the people find you? Oh, well, uh, I still have so many thoughts. Like, my two big takeaways from this episode is one, Mark Hamill is really, really important to Star Wars. And I don't know if they appreciated how valuable his contributions could have been with the prequel or the sequel trilogy. I think back to some of those early interviews and he's so good at couching everything in a joke. So it, it never comes off as like a scathing rebuke mm -hmm. of Lucasfilm. But even from the first time he did a table read of force awakens, you could tell his heart sank a little bit because he knows that Luke Skywalker is the heart of these movies and he couldn't understand why they wanted to deny the audience, the heart of, of the saga and, and why they wouldn't want a mentor character to bring the, you know, the passion and the weight of what star Wars is into this new trilogy. And uh, just hold him back as kind of this, you know, mysterious MacGuffin to be chased for several films. He couldn't figure it out. And he even advocated that at the end of Force Awakens, when they're on Starkiller base and they're in the forest and there's this quiet moment where the lightsaber's in the snow and you see it start to shake. And the question is, who's calling it? Who's the lightsaber going to go to? He said, well, that's Luke's entrance right there. Mm -hmm. Luke is the guy that follows the will of the force and shows up when he's needed. And this girl needs a mentor and Kylo Ren is attempting to seduce her. And this is the time when Luke Skywalker needs to step up and be the hero that we, we know he is. And that's when Luke enters. And after watching this episode, I think, Man, if only they'd listened. Mm -hmm. I like The Force Awakens. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. And, and uh, you know, it, it was really great to feel like they captured the, the look and the feel of the universe. But that would have been better. And Mark Hamill knew it. He, he'd been so steeped in, in Lucas's vision, you know, for the first three films. And he was such an eager student. Like, he just wanted to absorb. Like, what's Luke thinking, George? Like, what is, you know, like, he was, he was, he was just, like, such a fan as he was filming these movies. And then he's lived in the fandom ever since that I don't think Lucasfilm understood that he had such a clear beat mm -hmm. of what people wanted, what Star Wars was, what Luke Skywalker was. He had it all figured out. And man, I just really wish they'd listened because if this entrance, if everything that Favreau and Filoni infused emotionally into this entrance of Luke Skywalker, if we got it in the last 20 minutes of Force Awakens, First off, that movie would have beaten Avatar internationally. And second of all, 
it would have put the trajectory of the sequel trilogy on a completely different path. And you still could have hit all those beats. He still could have made this warrior monk sacrifice where without lifting his blade, he was able to win the day, you know, for the, the Alliance or the rebels, you know, like they, they still could have gone down the same basic path of exploring. What does it look like when the rebellion fails and all that could have still happened, but it would have had more heart Mm -hmm. and it would have felt more like star Wars. And I know that he brought everything he could to his role, especially in the last Jedi. And I applaud him for it because he, he was humble enough to take his cues from his director and give the director what the director wanted and give his best, even if he knew it was the maybe uh, not the best choice for his character. But he was such a team player. And man, I just wish I, I wish people listened because we could be in a different place with Star Wars and the fandom right now. What I am so happy about, though, is that Favreau saw it like Favreau gets it. Filoni gets it. And they were able to look at their opportunity to sort of kick off star Wars on their terms. And they weren't going to not let Luke get that moment. And they weren't going to not let Mark Hamill get that moment. They, they understood how powerful that would be to pull the heart back into star Wars. Mm -hmm. And I think not only did they execute on it just, you know, visually, I, I think it was wonderful and thematically and emotionally like the, the the cinema craft of it was beautiful but i don't know if everyone has had a chance to really wrap their heads around what this is going to mean for the fandom Mm -hmm. if there's anything that people can rally behind it's this episode and i i had half a mind to tweet at mark hamill this morning just say you were right you know like it's (laughs) this this was your entrance i'm so happy that you got it a little little late but this was this was what star wars needed that's I think my final word on what Favreau and Filoni have brought to this series, they understand what this is that they're doing Mm -hmm. and they understand how to marry that with fan expectations without pandering, but still know when to take your crown jewels and deliver. And uh, Mark Hamill, he is still so many years later, he is the heart of star Wars. And uh, you know, I choked up. I choked up. It was good. It was so good. And I'm just going to shut up because we're running really long. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was wonderful to see. I'm so happy that that this moment was had in Star Wars and that we got to see it and experience it. And it didn't feel like we were missing out on anything by watching it on our televisions. Like it was sure. What a what a moment to be alive in the Star Wars universe. We, of course, will be covering the future Star Wars television projects, and we will be joyful in doing that. But until we cover our next show, John, where can the people find you? Well, let's do a quick show note because gallery drops. Is it Christmas Day or New Year's Day? Uh, I believe Christmas Day. All right. So as soon as it drops, I bet they're going to be talking about how they de-aged Mark Hamill. I bet that's probably going to be the focus. So I'm going to be watching that as soon as it drops. I have a feeling that you'll probably be watching it. So I don't think we should lock down a date because the holidays always get funny. We know last year, everyone's moving in different directions. So uh, no point in committing to a day, but I think the next thing that we're going to cover should be gallery. I think that would put a nice bookend on Mandalorian season two. And, um, yeah, then after that, you know, as we get into the new year, we'll start looking at when things are going to drop and what we can fill in the gaps with. But for now, I think, um, you know, unless you shake your head and, and look angry at me right now, I'm going to say we can we can probably commit to covering um, gallery. So if people haven't tuned into the first season of that, go watch it because it's fantastic. It's uh, what's six or seven episodes. Mm-hmm. And um, 
yeah, they, they really give you a great insight on how much passion the team brought to season one. And I can't wait to see what um, they want to tell us about how season two unfolded. Um, so I'm excited. I want to talk about it. Cause as you know, the, the geeky technical stuff, especially with the stagecraft volumes and de-aging deep fakes that that's, that's my language. So I'm excited. Uh, we'll tune in to that, check in with our audience and uh, we'll have something for you to round out the year, hopefully. And in the meantime, this weekend, I'm going to be covering the 2020 mid season holiday finale of SNL. Um, Kristen Wiig cast alumni and fan favorite is going to be hosting and Dua Lipa's on music and it's going to be a big show. And we talk about it at SNL after party on YouTube or wherever better podcasts can be found, or you can go to snlpodcast.com. Check it out. It's a fun cast. We have fun. That's all I got. And you can keep up with this show throughout the week on Twitter at Star Wars TV Talk and by emailing us at hello at StarWarsTVTalk.com. You can find the rest of our episodes online at StarWarsTVTalk.com and by searching for Star Wars TV Talk wherever you get your podcasts. And please don't forget to subscribe. You can find our TV Talk network at TVTalk.fm. Thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always. <laughs>